Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Amen. It's so, so wonderful and such a blessing to be able to worship together in spirit and in truth. We're so very thankful and glad to have each and every one of you here with us this morning and those who are with us online. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know we're honored to have you here with us. Thank you for choosing to be here. Uh, Feel free to ask any questions uh, to get to know us. We want to get to know you, and we invite you uh, into our activities, our worship times, and anything that we do. We're so thankful that you're here, and we hope you're blessed by your time here. So we're still studying in, in the Gospel of Mark And we're going to be in chapter 10 today. And I want us to first look at uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, We've got kind of a lot of ground to cover, but I want us to see one main point by the time we get to the end. In chapter 10, as seems to happen all the time, wherever Jesus went, when he got off a boat, when he walked into a new town, wherever he was... He showed up and crowds gathered, didn't they? We've seen that over and over again in the Gospel of Mark where he goes somewhere and and the people find him. They're following him because they want to hear more from him. They want uh, the miracles that he performs, the healing. And so we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 10 at the beginning where Jesus uh, is here once again in a new place and the crowds gather. And what does Mark tell us? He tells us that uh, Jesus spent time teaching them. In fact, Mark at this point doesn't even mention miracles and healings and all that. He says Jesus was teaching them. And another thing we seem to be uh, seeing happen all the time is wherever Jesus shows up and wherever the crowds show up, the Pharisees seem to always show up, right? And they're, they're not coming for the same reasons the, the crowd is coming. They're coming because they're trying to find fault with Jesus. Because they're trying to, to trick Him, to find Him doing something wrong, to, to find Him breaking the law of Moses. Because they don't accept Him. They want to find fault with Him so they can convict Him. And we're going to see that play out in uh, the arrest and crucifixion, aren't we? Now, at this time, in chapters 10, verses 1 through 12, uh, they ask Him, the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they ask Him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them in verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 10, And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. 
When, when the Pharisees asked him this question from the beginning, Jesus already knew where he was going. There was no way they would ever trick Jesus. He saw him coming miles away, didn't he? But he was, he was going to do something on the way there to point something out to them about their hearts. And we're going to find out that he's pointing something out to us about our hearts. In fact, he starts off with just saying, well, what did Moses command? And he's going back to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And that's where uh, uh, Moses gave this commandment that they're referring to about giving her a certificate of divorce. And they say, well, Moses allowed this. The Pharisees are trying to rope Jesus in to this, uh, 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 this timeless argument about which side, which rabbi, which uh, uh, teaching are you going to listen to? Whose side are you going to take in this argument? That was a big, hotly debated subject then, and it is, still is today. But back then, there were two prominent rabbis, and they each took a different position. Uh, one rabbi was Rabbi Hillel, and he said, he taught, that a husband could divorce his wife for basically any reason, even, as his example was, if she burnt the toast, he could write her a certificate of divorce. The other one was, the other interpretation of this law of Moses was from Rabbi Shammai, and he taught you could only divorce on the grounds of fornication. Which of these do you think was the most popular interpretation? It was Rabbi Hillel's because it gave people an easy way out. And aren't we always looking for an easy way out? But see, Jesus doesn't take sides like they want Him to. And He goes all the way back to creation because He's going, he's going to get down inside of their hearts. And He's got something to tell us also about that law of Moses. He's he tells them that the reason Moses allowed, permitted divorce was because of what? The hardness of their hearts. Moses, though, was dealing with people at that time who were already fallen. They were already marred by sin, weren't they, at that time? So, so he's, he's dealing with them in the midst of already living broken, fallen, sinful lives in different ways. And, and, and divorce was just a reality among God's people at that time. But Jesus says, uh, uh, let me take you back further before hearts were hard, before sin entered the world, and let me take you to creation when God created marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And He says, you're missing the point of marriage. You're missing the heart of marriage. You're missing the design and the intent of marriage when you just go to Deuteronomy 24 and say, that lets me divorce my wife. You need to go all the way back to creation. You see, in De Deuteronomy 24, Moses was teaching that if a man gave his wife a certificate of divorce and she was to go off and marry another man, and then he was to die, even if she were to marry another man, whatever the scenario is, at no point could she return to the first husband. That's what Paul, uh, Moses was talking about. 
And the reason why was because Moses was saying something about the value and the importance of marriage. And he wanted that husband who thought he could just whip out a certificate and say, Oh, you're not going to make me what I want to eat? You're not going to massage my feet? You're not going to vacuum again? You're not going to go to the store for me? Where's my pen? Let me write this certificate out and send you on your way. He said, and so what he said, as Moses was saying, realize you can never get her back. That's what he's saying. You can, no matter what happens in the future, she can never be yours again. And so he wants them to understand the finality that breaking that covenant of marriage would cause and that he would never have his wife back. And maybe he would stop and think a little bit before he whipped out his pen and paper and wrote out his certificate. And see, uh, Moses is saying that uh, don't treat divorce as trivial, don't treat marriage as trivial. And Jesus' point was that a law like this was not needed if men didn't have selfish and hard hearts and were looking for excuses to divorce. If they weren't looking for an exit sign, a reason to get out of it. And and, and before we left uh, uh, Abilene, we saw that in our congregation there. And we've had that in our own family. And and, and probably everybody has been touched by divorce in one way or another. But Jesus was teaching in Mark 10 that God's design and His desire for marriage isn't found in Deuteronomy 24 when men's hearts were hard by sin, when their their hearts were already sinful. That God's design and His intent and His ideal for marriage was found in the Garden of Eden before sin had corrupted our hearts. When we see God in Genesis 2.24 say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, God took a rib out of Adam, and from that rib He created a woman, and He united them together in a covenant relationship before Him. And He said, one woman, one man for life. That's what I want for you. Why? Because He made this for you. And that's what He wants for you. So when we see Jesus say in Mark 10, 9, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It's because to separate is to break that covenant that was made with God and His design and His goal and His desire for a marriage. But let's skip over to verses 17 through 31. We find the story of a rich young man. One of the other Gospels calls him a rich young ruler. And this, in this story, this young man sees Jesus, runs up to him, and he kneels down before him. He knows who he is. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lists several of the Ten Commandments. And the rich young man says, I know all these. I've kept these. This was a man who was sincere in his faith. He was was sincerely trying to follow God's way. He, He wanted to know. 
is there anything else I need to do? I mean, I've, I've been doing my best. What else is there? Is there something else? But watch what Jesus says in verse 21. He knew what he was doing, just like he knew what he was doing when he talked to the Pharisees, and he was getting at their hearts, and he's here getting at the heart of this young man. And Mark tells us, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You can imagine Jesus listening to him reply back after he listed some Ten Commandments and the young man says, I've done all these things. And remember, for a Jewish person at that time, to follow the law, my following the law faithfully gave me righteousness by my ability to follow the law. You see, so he's asking, is there something else I need to do to be righteous based on my works so that I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus hears his reply. Can you just imagine him standing there pausing for just a moment, looking at him? Mark is sure to, to give us that, that detail that Jesus just looks at him. He's not looking down at him. He's not looking at him in a condemning way. He's not shaking his head at him. He's, he's looking at him, and Mark says, and he loved him. He saw his heart, but he said, I've, I, I see your heart, but I've got to get in there deeper. So, something like my disciples that I'm dealing with, I, I'm not all the way in there, and I, I need to get at something that's in your heart that's keeping you from eternal life, and he says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So this young, Jesus cared about this young man's soul. He saw his sincerity, but he also saw what was in his heart that needed to be worked on. He saw what was in his heart that was still hard, and that needed to be broken and softened so that Jesus could get in, so that the man could be truly a follower of Jesus and inherit eternal life. And notice, he calls this man to do something that he never said to anyone else. He said, sell it all, everything you have, and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. He didn't tell anybody else that. He told this man that. Why did he tell this man that? Why was he talking in specifics like he was to the Pharisees beforehand? And right here he's saying, I need to deal with what's in your heart. Let me get personal with you. And this is what you need to do so that you can inherit eternal life. In other words, he's done everything else, but this one thing is keeping him from Jesus. How did that man respond to Jesus? He walked away full of sorrow, didn't he? He walked away sad. His face was downcast. It just, it just hurt him that he couldn't believe it. And he's saying, I've done all this. Doesn't, don't all these other things matter? And now I've got to do this, this one thing? And for him, that was what? That was the one thing he couldn't do. That was the one thing he couldn't let go of. The young man walked away full of sorrow. He couldn't take his trust off his wealth, 
off of what He did by His intelligence, by His power, by His hard work. That's what His trust was in. And He couldn't not have that and not trust that. And He couldn't turn His heart over and His fortune over to Jesus and and, and surrender fully to Him. And Jesus is not teaching against wealth here. We see Paul write about that. He's not teaching against that. He's talking to this man. But in talking to this man, he's talking to us. Because that hardness that's still in our heart, it might not be wealth. It might be uh, some kind of sexual immorality. It might be some kind of substance abuse. It might be anger. It might be... uh, a temper, it might be some kind of other sin. So Jesus is talking to us when He talks to this man. He said, there's something there that's holding you back and you need to deal with it. Now let's back up to verses 13 through 16. In this short story, between the story of the Pharisees challenging Jesus about divorce and His teaching about the true heart of God about marriage, and between the story of the rich young ruler whose heart was hard and needed to soften when it came to his money and where he put his trust. And in between these two, we find Jesus with the little children. In verse 13, Mark records, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. This is a strong word. It wasn't Jesus was kind of flustered. He kind of sort of didn't like that. This was strong. Jesus was not happy about this. He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Verses 14 through 15 tell us something real interesting about who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. The rich young ruler had already asked, how can I inherit the kingdom of God? And he talked about his heart, and he talked about the the heart of people when they were dealing with marriage and divorce. And now he's saying, here are the people who enter the kingdom of God. Their hearts are like children. Uh, Jesus was constantly telling the disciples, quit pushing people away because they're blind, because they're poor, because they're lame, because they have an unclean spirit, because they're unwanted, because they're rejected, because they're unloved, and quit pushing the children away. Jesus was always on the disciples. Why? Remember, they had some heart problems too. They weren't seeing clearly all the way yet. How did children receive Jesus? All you got to do is look at them in Bible class or at VBS. When they're singing those songs, when they're learning those stories in the Bible, and how excited they get and their faces light up, and they want to answer questions, and they want to talk, and they want to tell the story, and they want to do the arts and crafts and the activities. 
And they want to ask questions and they want to, they want to be full participants and they, they want to take their Bibles to Bible class and they want to come home and tell you what they did in Bible class, what they learned and show you their coloring page and the, the cotton glued on the lambs and Jesus and the lambs. All of that. Why? Because they love Jesus. Children love Jesus. And parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, we love to see children Love Jesus, don't we? We love it when our children get old enough, like baby Julia, who's not a baby anymore, and, and she can start talking, and she can say Jesus and Bible, and when they get old enough and they can sing Bible class songs, we love that. And it reminds us, Jesus is reminding us, that's how you enter the kingdom of heaven with a child's heart. See, children receive Jesus with open arms, don't they? With full trust. They just love Him. They just want Him. They just want to be with Him. They don't come to Jesus with attitudes, with personal agendas, with ulterior motives, with, with a schedule booked up, and now I'll see if I can work you in. Let me see if I can get you on my calendar. That, that's not how children come to Jesus. Half-hearted, half-trusting, half-loving. And I get it, adults have been through stuff and they, you know, it's different and I understand that. But Jesus is saying those who enter the kingdom of heaven are those who come like a child with that pure, fully trusting, surrendering heart to me. And isn't that what he was dealing with on the subject of divorce and marriage and with the young man who was, had all the wealth? He was dealing with them about uh, just, just come to me with the heart that is right when it comes to marriage and a covenant before God and, 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 and quit trying to look for excuses to get out of a marriage and, and, and have your heart right before God in your marriage. And he says to the person uh, uh, with great wealth who can't let go of that or whatever the issue might be, he says, you just need a heart of a child with, without all the hardness and brokenness and just surrender. Quit holding on to it and come to me. That's what Jesus wanted. He's saying if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to start acting like a child. Children have no money Sadly, they have no prestige, they have no power, but they run to Jesus and they trust Him and they love Him. And that's what Jesus is saying. In chapter 10, Jesus is giving us a radical call to discipleship. That's what He's talking about. This is the cost of discipleship. Your heart has to be right. You've got to surrender and trust and come follow me. That requires trust, surrender, humility, and obedience. The cost of following Jesus means you don't let anything, money, family, hobbies, career, uh, uh, sin, anything keep you, hinder you. He said don't hinder the children. You don't let anything hinder you from going full speed ahead with Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, that's not how life worked out for you in every way. 
life didn't go that direction for you at every turn, I want to say to you, you know where you start? You start with now. You start with today. Tomorrow's over. You, you can't go back there and do anything about that. You can't, you can't rewrite history. You've got today. You've got now. And Jesus would say the same thing. Come follow me. Now. He said, but, but, but I didn't, my life went that way and then this way, and now I'm trying to make it go this way. He said, what are you going to do today? I'm talking about today. The rich young ruler, look, he had all the, all the, and Jesus is saying, today come follow me. He's saying to the Pharisees, he's, today change your heart about what marriage is about and the meaning of it. Follow me today. Are you going to be radically committed to Jesus today? Maybe you weren't back then. Maybe you weren't yesterday. Maybe you weren't this morning. But now, are you going to be radically committed to Jesus? And this is what it means to take up our cross and follow Him in marriage and in money and in anything else that would hinder us from following Him fully and completely. You pick that cross up and you start hauling it towards Him. Are you ready to start acting like a child? Maybe you're ready to start acting like a child again. If you've never become a child of God, we want you to be one. That's our plea to you. Obey the gospel. Put on Christ in baptism. Be united with Him in baptism. Raised out of the waters to walk in newness of life with your sins forgiven and being given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you've not been acting like a child lately, but you've been a Christian. You're already a child of God. We want to encourage you. Start acting like a child again. Get your heart right with God. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please, come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.